Session 17 Companions on the Spiritual Journey Session Overview An Introduction to John Wesley's Face-to-Face -face Groups The Family at Worship A Face-to-Face -face Group Application Exam Discussion Guide for Mentor and Participant Learner Objectives At the end of this session, you should Understand the insightful and practical use of face-to-face -face groups and the Wesleyan tradition. Own your need for the encouragement, strengthening, accountability, and growth that comes from face-to-face -face Christian groups. Experience the small group process and devise ministry strategies employing face-to-face -face groups as one necessary way the community of faith nurtures the deeper spiritual life. Introduction did you ever wonder why wild geese fly in V's? One scientist did, and he attained a U.S. government grant to study the matter. He discovered geese could fly 71% farther and longer by flying in V's. As the geese position themselves in the V formation, the motion of the wings of the goose in the front provides an uplift that makes it easier for the following goose to fly. When the lead goose gets tired, it falls out and takes its place at the end of the formation, where it is easier to fly. Another goose moves up and leads. Occasionally, an independent goose strikes out alone, but it soon gives out and has to stop or get hopelessly behind. This obviously puts the goose at great risk. Becoming lost, suffering an injury, or the buckshot of goose hunters hiding in the reeds are all definite possibilities. Christians are like that too. On our own, we grow faint, give in to temptation, or get too discouraged to go on. We really do need each other. In this session, we will explore the nature and usefulness of face-to-face -face groups in Christian nurture. We will look at our unusually rich Wesleyan heritage of small group ministries. We will also evaluate how this heritage can enrich our lives as Christians and the practices of our churches today. Companions on the Spiritual Journey An Introduction to John Wesley's Face-to-Face -face Groups No one has yet improved on John Wesley's plan for pastoral care. Its bountiful success in caring for converts, building up believers, and leading Christians into the experience of sanctification demands our attention. Most of the believers who found entire sanctification in Wesley's time did so in a small group meeting. The spiritual guidance he taught and structured was called Christian Conference. Therein, people experienced mutual spiritual guidance in classes, bands, societies, families, and in twin soul and faith mentoring pairs. The Society The Society in the Methodist Connection was at first a religious organization within the Church of England. Societies held no meetings or services that would conflict with the Anglican worship schedule. Eventually, the society became sort of a local congregation meeting in chapels, halls, and homes. On Sunday evenings, there was a service of preaching, scripture reading, exhortations, testimonies, and hymn sing. The society also had a 5 a.m. meeting on a weekday morning. The workday started at 6 a.m., so the Methodist went to the factories and the mines armed with a fresh religious experience. The society also held a joyous watch night service monthly on a Saturday night. It came at the full moon so members would have moonlight by which to walk home. The other meeting was the Love Feast, a service that began with a meal of bread and water, preceded with opportunities to mend relationships, and ended with testimonies and praise. 
the class meeting. The class meeting has been hailed as Wesley's greatest contribution. D.L. Moody called it the greatest tool for discipling converts ever devised. From David Michael Henderson, John Wesley's Instructional Groups, Unpublished Ph.D. Dissertation, Indiana University, 1980, page 140. From Wesley Tracy, John Wesley, Architect of Christian Nurture, Herald of Holiness, February 1991, page 27. The society was subdivided into classes of about 12 persons each. Every member of the society was required to join a class that met weekly. The class meeting was more or less a democratic forum where rich, poor, old and young, the educated, and the illiterate could meet as peers. At first, class meetings met in homes, shops, schoolrooms, attics, even coal bins, wherever there was room for 10 or 12 people to assemble. The leadership of classes was open to both genders. The class meeting was the only significant role of leadership for women in Britain. David Michael Henderson calls the class meeting an instructional group. Methodist doctrines and practices, along with the Sunday sermons, were explained, but the class was also an arena of true community. Acceptance, love, and mutual commitment were the keynotes. After an opening hymn, the typical meeting would then see the class leader share the problems and victories in his or her spiritual life. Class members on a voluntary basis would then follow suit. Answers to prayer, spiritual lessons learned from experience, as well as temptations, grief, and backsliding were shared. In this context of prayer, trust, and confession, spiritual growth was accelerated. From Zion's Herald, Boston, November 30, 1825 designated as a reprint from the Arminian magazine. Wesley summarized the function of the classes in the Arminian magazine. This particular design of the classes is to know who continue as members of society, to inspect their outward walking, to inquire into their inward state, to learn what are their trials, and how they fall by or conquer them, to instruct the ignorant in the principles of religion, to repeat, to explain, to enforce what has been said in public preaching to ensure that they have a clear, full, abiding conviction that without inward, complete, universal holiness, no man shall see the Lord. When the Wesleyan revival jumped the Atlantic and came to America, first the rampant revivalism, and second, the success of the Sunday school, shoved the class meeting into the background. Today, what is left of the heritage of a class meeting is expressed in adult Sunday school classes, in small group Bible studies, and in membership classes. The bands. The bands were same gender groups of five or six persons committed to each other and to the holy life. They met to help each other on the road to Christian perfection. They were deeper life groups, and only about one-third of the typical society joined, or was invited to join the bands, where they shared their spiritual journeys without reserve and without disguise. John Wesley called this close conversation. He felt that Methodism was closest to the New Testament ideal in the band meetings. He said he saw one man who learned more about the spiritual life in one band meeting than he had in 10 years of listening to public preaching. From Wesley, Works, Chapter 8, page 272. Before one could join a band, he or she was examined by 11 questions. Five of the 11 questions follow. Number 1. Have you the forgiveness of sins and peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Number two, have you the witness of God's Spirit with your spirit that you are a child of God? Number three, has no sin, inward or outward, dominion over you? Number four, 
Do you desire to be told all your faults? Number five, is it your desire and design to be, on this and all other occasions, entirely open as to speak everything that is in your heart without exception, without disguise, and without remorse? Wesley wrote five starter questions for use in each band meeting. Number one, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? Number two, what temptations have you met with? Number three, how were you delivered? Number four, what have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be a sin or not? Number five, have you nothing you desire to keep secret? Not always included in the early Wesleyan accounts of the bands. Following our band questions started in contemporary style, more attuned to the spiritual ear of serious Christians today. Number one, what spiritual failures have you experienced since our last meeting? What known sins, if any, have you committed? Number two, what temptations have you battled this week? Where do you feel the most vulnerable right now? Number three, what temptations have you been delivered from this week? Please share with us how you won the victory. See Reflecting God, page 133. Number four, has the Lord revealed anything to you about your heart and life that makes you want us to join you in taking a second look at what might be sinful attitudes, lifestyle, or motivations? Number five, is there any spiritual problem you have never been able to talk about to us or even to God? What Christian could not profit from meeting weekly with trusted friends to share answers to such questions? Too often we go to church, look at the back of our fellow believers' heads during a public service, and never see into each other's hearts. The revival and camp meeting emphasis in America diminished the band meeting in the 19th and early 20th century. And with the Sunday school, then charged with almost all of the Christian nurture duties, the ministry of the bands faded. The genius of the band was rediscovered when covenant groups surged through the religious and secular culture in the last three decades of the 20th century. The Wesleyan and Wesleyan holiness groups should have owned the franchise on covenant group work, but they had all but discarded the band ethos in favor of revivalism and Sunday school work. The holiness churches had to relearn the covenant and support group ethos by borrowing from the culture and digging into their all-but-forgotten heritage. Today, covenant groups blossom like wisteria on the sunny side of the barn all over the Wesleyan holiness movement. The Penitent Bands This backsliders band was designed especially for sincere people who, for some reason, kept being recaptured by sin. They wanted to do right, but had not found the strength and discipline to overcome the temptation that persistently causes them to flounder. For them, the penitent band met on Saturday nights. What would happen to the spiritual temperature of our churches if those with persistent spiritual problems and failures could, without disgrace or losing face, go to a regular meeting for people just like them? What a celebration when someone would graduate from the penitent band! From Wesley Works, chapter 8, verse 261. The Select Society The Select Society was a small group of leaders in the Methodist Connection. Only the most faithful and dedicated were invited. The Select Society had no rules, no order of service, and no official leader. Even when John Wesley was present, he would not preside. Any topic or concern of the leadership team could be discussed. Wesley's first experiment with this structure aimed at helping them advance in perfection, to help them love each other more, to improve every leadership talent. 
to have a select company to whom I might unbosom myself on all occasions without reserve and whom I could propose to do all their brethren as a pattern of love, of holiness, and of good works. Although there were no rules, there were three directions. Everything discussed was to be held in confidence. In indifferent matters or opinions regarding non-essentials, members were to abide by the arbitration of the senior minister among them. Everyone should give back to the common stock of offerings of money and goods for the poor. This was in harmony with the directive for all Wesleyan small group meetings. Each group was to give an offering for the poor. Every meeting, no exceptions. Today, the random church staff meetings and church board retreats do not draw on the select society heritage in any direct way. Consider for a moment what the result of practices would be if they were maintained. Surely, many church meetings would be a lot shorter. Increased Christian fellowship for all of us, but even better would be the increase in compassionate ministries through the offerings. The Family at Worship, a Face-to-Face Group Historians who write about Wesley's face-to-face groups almost always forget one of the most important groups, the family. Family worship and study was highly recommended twice daily, morning and evening, and was one of the engines that fueled the Methodist revival. Besides the twice-day family worship, Thursday night was to be given to a one-on-one parent-to-child instruction. On Saturday night, the family was to review all they had learned during the week. To help with the family worship and religious education, Wesley provided a collection of prayers for families, prayers and devotions for every day of the week, prayers for children, sessions for children, 200 Bible studies, and instructions for children, 58 sessions on Christian living. To help parents who had little, if any, experience with such things, Wesley devised an insightful method of family worship. Step 1. A short, extemporaneous, or read prayer. Step 2. Psalm singing. Step 3. Bible study. A parent was to read the scripture for the day and explain it. Then the children were to explain the Bible passage back to the parents. Step 4. Family prayer using both written and spontaneous prayers. Step 5. Singing of the doxology. Step 6. The benediction given by a parent. Step 7. The blessing. The parent lays his or her hand on the head of each child and blesses the child in Jesus' name. The blessing in Jesus' name, Wesley charged, was never to be omitted no matter how bad the child had behaved that day. Being blessed in Jesus' name by a parent every day, even on days when your conduct was rotten, think what that would do for your child's self-esteem, for their spiritual health. Would not that put you light years ahead of all the advice of Dr. Spock? Application Number 1. Review the following service of family worship. Record your answers to the following questions and be prepared to discuss the family worship service and your response with your mentor. What would it mean to your life if you had experienced this as a child? Is it something you can incorporate into your life now? How could it be redesigned for those who are not living with immediate family?